This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That to be joined on CFB by former Manchester United and Wigan defender Pat McGibbon. Pat came through at Manchester United at a time when the class of 92 were on the horizon, you know, the likes of Eric Harrison at the club, Sir Alex Ferguson and so many other greats as well. Pat's also um, someone who's very inspiring for people like myself. I've, I've struggled with mental health um, on and off for a few years and, and, and the work that Pat is doing is just utterly inspiring to to talk about his story and to be a mental health mentor and well-being coach as well is just absolutely incredible. So, first of all, Pat, how are you? Yeah, good, Calvin. Yeah, thanks for the invite. Um, obviously, you know, plenty going on, and it's no, but it, it's great, great and rewarding work. I have to say, what I'm doing at the moment. In terms of the work at the moment, you've got a very personal story when it comes to mental health and, and, and of course it, it involves your family as well. Was that the real motivation to, to do everything that you could to help others? Yeah, d- definitely. I mean, it, it was something that actually whenever my, my career started, uh, my, my footballing career started to come to a close, um, I had I did a physio degree while I was still playing at Wigan Athletic and um, I, I sort of thought that I would go into the more clinical side of it and the physio end of things. But as my football career, especially back at home and the part-time end of things started to come to a close, I, I then got into my coaching badges. So it, it, was, it wasn't something that, that sort of I made a conscious decision initially to go into, it, but it was something that, that came around later. And obviously, you know, the, the fact that I came back home and you know that what I found was there were there were certain triggers that you know maybe were were back in Northern Ireland, which which basically brought me brought me to where I am now. And, and and one of the things you've been very open and honest about, you've been on the Manchester United official podcast. There's also an article on Manchester United's website, which is great to see. You've talked about something that affects so many of us, and and that is that is loss I mean you you lost your brother when I was 14 I lost my father and and it's very hard to put into words how that feels and how you recover from that and how you can help others with that for quite a long time but but you're now in a position where you can do that and I have to say the fact you've told the story is incredibly inspiring and having listened to the podcast and, and read the article on United's website it's it's just something that I know will help so many yeah, and th- thanks for that because, you know, what I have found with, especially going into the mental health and well-being coaching, is that very much a part of this is that you have to be non-judgmental and everybody obviously has a, their, their part to play, but also they've also their own personal story. So, um, you know, that grieving process in, in particular, I spoke, I spoke to Phil obviously a, a, a couple of nights back just in regards to... Um, 
after Philip's death in 1993, you know, obviously it was a very difficult time for not just myself, but my family. Um, but after the initial wake and, and, and funeral and, and obviously being back at home for, for a couple of weeks, I went back and, and played obviously with Manchester United for, for five years and then with Wigan. Now, what I said, you know, recently over various interviews is that I probably parked the bus in terms of the grieving process. Um, but that's something that I've learned now, having, having obviously educated myself a lot more within the mental health sphere. Um, and I think the important part within this is, you know, that the, the grieving is personal for everybody. And it's, you know, people have to understand to be non-judgmental, especially when it comes to, to mental health. One of the things you mentioned was that in that time, 93, the 90s, even the early 2000s, mental health wasn't spoken about anywhere near as much as it is now. And, and thank goodness we are talking about it now. But St Alex Ferguson and Manchester United as a club really did look after you at that time. Can you just explain how the club helped you when going through such a, a traumatic event? Yeah, look, I mean, it was obviously they kept it quite personal to, to the family and, you know, at a, at a club like Manchester United and, and you can see the things that even that have gone on in, in recent days and recent weeks, it's very difficult to keep things personal, you know, at a, at a club like Manchester United, which is obviously worldwide. So he was very good, obviously, with the family, with myself. He told me, you know, to take as much time as I needed. Um before going back, obviously. Um, but I find that after a couple of weeks, you know, my, my, my friends had moved on to university. You know, I always wanted to be a professional footballer. So I, I, I obviously went back then just before the season ended in 1993 and played a, a couple of games before the season ended. So the Yaffer, again, was, he, he, he understood that you know within this and within the grieving process it, it had to be he was keeping to our wishes as well so but what i have found having spoken over the, the last number of years about sort of mental health and, and um about that that whole idea of a problem shared is a problem halved and i think over the last number of years people have realized that you know actually sharing the story and and being prepared to speak about mental health issues actually will help others because it is so personal but it also will educate others and, and i think whether that's within mental health or in other spheres you know if you have people that have a good knowledge base and also have an understanding of it mental health education is key absolutely and and for me i found that opening up on my battle as phil have told you with his as well is it's very, it's very personal, as you've said, and it can be very difficult the first time you open up, but it's like unlocking a door. I, in my personal experience of once I'd spoken about it and I I'd, I'd went to seek help, it didn't become easier in the sense that it was a overnight one, one chat fixes everything, but what it was was something for me that was a safe space to know that I could speak about it, I could be honest about it and open about it, with my friends, with my family, to the point that if I feel that way again, I know I've got so many people that I can turn to, even just for a chat to say I'm struggling. And, and as you say, the, the more that people can speak, at first it's daunting, but once you, once you do it, I found in my experience it definitely does help. 
Yeah, yeah, and I, I would totally agree with that. You know, I mean, it was, it was something that sometimes, you, you know, they talk about by the stigma within mental health and whether that's self-harm, you know, leading to suicide or depression, severe depression and anxiety. Um, you know, there was that stigma that used to surround it. But I think as people have talked, people have always, you know, I, I, I talk within this and this, you know, you, you can get very deep into this in terms of, you know, belief systems and what people think. But regardless of your beliefs, whether you believe that, you know, the world was um, started through science or through religion and God. That, that, beyond that, from the day and hour that the person, a person was sat on, on this earth, mental health has existed. You know, so people now understand that and probably are more prepared to speak about it, um, which is great. And, you know, the, the more understanding we have of it, you know, the, the more that we can then, that the, there's the help there will be out there. You know, so um, that's, I think that's really important. Do you find that being a mental uh, health and wellbeing coach, that the fact that you've got a football background can help in so many ways in the sense that for a lot of males, they, they are very reluctant to, to speak and, and seek advice and maybe try and deal with their problems in other ways. But with a football connection, is that something that you found can, can help people open up? Yeah, I think I think it's a, a brilliant opportunity, you know, because it's, it's the, the 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 biggest game in the world in terms of the amount of people that play it and support it. So, uh, by actually ha having that audience, whether it's a sport base, whether it's players, whether it's managers, you you've you've got that opportunity, and that's what it is. It's an opportunity to to get it out there and make people normalise it. Which, which is important. So from the very start, and, and I first spoke about Philip in 2013, I think it was, you know, we, we started the charity in 2013. I was asked to do quite, quite a big mental health uh, seminar in Belfast the first time I spoke about Philip. And I just say, you know, whenever you have a football in your hand, and I played various sports, you know, I played I did cross country running. I did play Gaelic sport. I played soccer. Um, but you had a ball in your hand or at your feet, and you made friends throughout the world. You know, you didn't need to be able to speak their language um, in terms of the country. But you see, when you had a football, you made football and friends all the time, and that's what I keep pushing within this. You know that it, football can be used to either, you know, pull people together or divide. And I love to see it pulling people together. Absolutely. That's, for me, one of the, the great things that the game of football can do. And, and in terms of this, the reason I wanted to really start with the mental health side of things is because it's important that it's given real importance and that as a, as a topic, it's, it's something that we accept is, is a topic that we can be open about. And... The last question I'll ask you on it per se, because we'll get to your, your incredible football career as well. What advice would you give anyone out there struggling who's listening to this right now? A, a big part of it, um, Callum, would be to, to make sure that, you know, they, they, they do speak to somebody, but also that they, they have to speak to somebody that they trust, you know, initially. So that, whilst there's, there's great people out there, whereas if, whether it's designated counsellors, you know, there's so many great mental health groups and organisations with 
with um, you know qualified counsellors and health and wellbeing coaches. I think the, the, the biggest one is to take that step and speak to somebody that you trust who will be non-judgmental, who will listen, you know, and is a good listener. And then from there, obviously, if they need to seek more professional help, then whether that's in partnership with that person or they're, they're, they're strong enough or willing to go and speak to the professional themselves, then to do that. But the big one is always the trust. It is, you know, the non-judgmental and knowing people. And it's also being a good listener. Um, those would be the ones that, and, and don't fear the, 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 the fact that, you know, you're going to be speaking about your own mental health because what you will tend to find, and I'm sure you're the same with this, is that um, whenever you do open up, other people will actually maybe not necessarily understand all of your story, but they'll certainly understand some of the issues because they'll probably have been there at some stage. It's far more normal than what people realise. That's what that there is exactly how how I feel in the sense that when I opened up to close friends and family members, a lot of them, as you've said, couldn't say exactly. I've I've been in that position in terms of how you're feeling, but in terms of some of the triggers that you've had, I've been there and I've I've had to deal with those, and and that's one of the main steps, as you say. Not everyone will be able to really get into your shoes as such and think of it that way, but what they will be able to do is have an understanding of some of the key elements. That, that, that's right. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just those common triggers, and, and, and as I say, everybody's story is, is personal to them, but also there, there, there will be certain common traits, and you know, these are the things that we can speak about together then. Absolutely, and, and the more that we all speak, I'm sure we both agree, is, is, is incredibly important. And, and to really talk to you, um, Pat, about your footballing career, what was it like growing up in Ireland and, and, and getting that interest from a club like Manchester United so young? Because as soon as anyone hears the name Manchester United, whether they're in Scotland, Ireland, America, or Dubai, it's, it's a name known across the whole world. Yeah, I mean, to be to be fair, with, especially with my own career and, and as I went through sport generally, you know, I first played my first soccer match at, I think, at 11. I'd been playing just Gaelic sport at under 10 and then at 11 I played my first game for the school. Then joined a, joined a club, Lurgan United, for five or six years and then went into the Irish League within the, the youth setup. So... I was actually a late developer, you know, while a lot of lads go over, you know, the likes of Keith Gillespie, for example, Keith was in my digs early on, and Keith went over as an apprentice, and he, I think he was sort of 16, he went in and did that apprenticeship with United, I didn't go over until I finished my A-levels, so I actually had a wee bit of a grinding within education, and then ended up, um, going over to Manchester United at 18 years of age. Um, I always remember, you know, I, I had made a really conscious decision to focus on, you know, between 17 and 18 on um, my, my football. And I remember speaking to the careers officer and she asked me what I wanted to be when I, you know, when I went, left school and I said, look, I want to be a professional footballer. And she said, look, what do you really want to be? And it was like, yeah, no, I want to concentrate on this. So at, at 18, I 
was playing well and, and I'd, grow, I'd actually grown quite significantly. I'd, I'd grown about five or six inches from I was sort of 17 to 18. So all of a sudden, I was the size of a, a centre-back. And I think that I actually grew in confidence in the fact that, that physically I grew as well. And all of a sudden, I had started to overtake a lot of the players that were probably getting ahead of me before then. So, and I think it was it was early early 1992. Then they they offered to take me on trial for a week. I was only really playing in, in Portadown's reserve team and youth team. I was on the fringes of the first team there, but um, I then played a, a reserve game against for for Manchester United then. In against Aston Villa, and it was after that spell that I realised, look, you know, I've I've got a chance here because they offered me another another three week trial that summer, and after the three weeks, they then offered me a three year deal. So with Brian Robson, the England captain, was reading Match Magazine, and all of a sudden, stages. And in terms of those big characters, before we get to them, you mentioned the fact that you're there on trial initially. What's it like when you're on trial? I imagine a lot of people talk about when you are young, your early 20s or late teens, that you don't really have fear and you can, you don't really feel the pressure. But I imagine at a trial that could be slightly different. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, 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 the training end of things, you, you go into training and, and you don't have the same sort of pressures within training. You're working really hard. You're doing whatever the coach asks of you. But then when it comes to a game, there's the build-up to it. And, you know, I was used to, to playing, as I say, youth team football and, and reserve team football within the Irish League. All of a sudden, I was I was marking Dwight York and Dalian Atkinson, God rest them, in a, in, a, in a game against Aston Villa. So... You know, there was a lot of nerves before, and you know, I got out there. But then, once you start playing, it's you know, it's just eleven against eleven, and you you know, if you get a good early touch and things go well for you early, then the momentum builds. So you know, the confidence is a lot to play, especially at the top part of the game, because all it takes is you know one maybe bad touch early on, and and. But you have to work yourself around that. And, and the margins are so tight once it gets to there. So, yes, it was nervous. But um, once once you get out there, you, you have a job to play. And then you realise that all that training that you've did over the course of the years, have, you know, that, that's, that's what you're there for. And in terms of getting the, the three-year contract, just describe how you felt at that moment, not only from your personal perspective, but your family's perspective as well. Yeah, look, look it was absolutely terrific. You know, they, they, they hear that. I actually remember training. Obviously, we'd have trained over the course of, of pre-season, but around that time, Dion Dublin was was training and, and, and trial with the, the club as well. They were looking at, at, at buying Dion. And I always remember being put out at, at, at after training out to the cliff training ground, and I had to do one on ones with Dion. I, you know, I'm, I'm quite a, a big lad, but Dion's even taller than me, and it was <laughs> it was one v ones for it, it. may have been like ten or fifteen minutes, but it felt like an hour. And you know, it was after that, and and I suppose. The, the gaffer would have been watching. He'd have been up uh, above in the cliff, looking down from his, his, his office and just checking to see. It was more about character than anything else. 
you know. So it was after that 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 then obviously it was offered the contract, and it was just uh, it, it was amazing because um, all that work that I had put in from a very young age had sort of had come to fruition. You know, I've always said that whether it was Accrington Stanley or Manchester United, it wouldn't have mattered. I always wanted to play, you know, get paid for something I love doing. But when when I got obviously the opportunity to sign for Manchester United, you know, I never look back, and I, I always would thank not just the gaffer but the whole club. The, the, there was a great fabric to it, and, and there still is. Before we talk about Sir Alex Ferguson, just tell me about the late great Eric Harrison because he was just such an inspirational figure in terms of. The class of 92, through their documentaries, people have got a real glimpse into Eric Harrison. He also developed lots of other young players, including yourself. Just what was he like as a person? Because you don't produce that many young players at Manchester United to play for the first team and then go on and have careers elsewhere in the game without having something special. Yeah, I mean, I, I went over and I, I went over as a first year pro. So I obviously had Jim, Jim Ryan as the reserve team manager at the time. So I didn't go through the youth team stage as such. But what I did do, and I did this purposely, was first of all, you know, and, and you would probably have heard maybe from, from ex-players about this, that, you know, once you finish training at half one, you have a lot of spare time in your hands. So... What I purposely did was in the afternoons I asked Eric would I be able to train with the youth team. And so I would have did that quite a bit. And that's where I got to know Eric, you know, and he was, I have to say, tough. He's tough when it came to training. Um, it was it was old school training, but it, it was really, really strong character building stuff. And... and um, I had so much, I had so much admiration for Eric because what you knew with him was he, he called a spade a spade, and you knew that there were going to be times if you weren't performing that he would let you know. But he never ever said anything personal, and that's what something that I've carried into my my coaching career as well. Is you know people players don't have to necessarily like you, but they have to respect you, and in order to do that you have to earn that respect by not doing anything that's personal. And I have often had this, even in, when going into management in, within the Irish League, is that I've had players that maybe haven't taken taken the, the decisions I've made well, but have always come back and said, look, I apologise for the way I reacted. Or that this, and that, this might be years down the line. So I always say that's one thing about Eric. You knew where you stood with him. And, you know, I, I had the utmost respect for him. And, and obviously, um, because it was back in, um, back in Northern Ireland, I didn't realise just how, how unwell he was. And, you know, it was a, 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 obviously a great loss, not just to, to Manchester United, but to football generally. And in terms of Sir Alex Ferguson, an incredible manager, the greatest manager of all time, in, in my opinion. But... From, a, from a, a player's perspective and a young player's perspective at that time, how good was it not only having him as one of the greatest managers of all time, or the greatest, depending on how you look at it, but also having him as a figure who trusted young players and was willing to give them a chance? Um, you, you know what? I mean, I, I've, I've said this before, you know, that, that 
although the gaffer the, 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 had the reputation and people talked about the you know the hairdryer with him and he he was he was a very intelligent man when it came to, to getting the best out of players whether that was senior players or younger players now um for me he he was able to, to sort of press the right buttons and and get the best out of players he knew players inside out you know i mean fo- football wise yes obviously you could pick up on players and and like all managers i'm sure there were players that he maybe thought would would uh, be successes at manchester united that, that weren't but it, it just didn't work for whatever reason um that that will always happen with football um but in terms of the young lads themselves and, and including myself, um he 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 demanded which rightly so at a, at a club like Manchester United, but you know, and, and actually Roy Roy Keane was over two thousand and sixteen and I always remember like Roy had said, he every training session, you know, everybody put absolutely into every training session and that that was with with the manager it was it was what he fostered through the club, and when it when it came to a Saturday, you know the Saturday games the majority of the time weren't as difficult as training throughout the course of the week because you had players from first team through reserve team through A team and B team at that time that were winners and that 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 was being fostered throughout. There was also that ethos of nobody being better. Than the next person, you know, and whether that was within the the team at first team level, right through right down to sort of the the, the B team, and also the admin staff, the canteen staff, everybody was everybody felt a part of what was being created, and and the gaffer has to take a, a, a huge part within that. And in terms of the, your fellow young players coming through, I mean. Lots of people talk about the class of '92, and, and Ryan Giggs in particular. I mean, he he seemed to break in to the team and just stay there for decades. You know, I mean, was was that obvious when you were training that someone like Giggs had that ability to go into a United team and stay there? Yeah, look, I mean, Giggsy Giggsy was exceptional. I mean, I I, I can go, go through so many names within that. I always talk about. Um, people will ask me who the best player I ever played with. Or alongside or trained with was and um, I, I, I often say you know Paul Scholes only because Scholes he didn't have the physical attributes maybe that others had and that you know is um, you know if you did a, a hundred meter sprint he would have been last and if he did a twelve minute run he, he had bad asthma so he'd have been last but you put him on a pitch and he just had this awareness but. That's not taken away from the likes of, of Giggsy, who just, Giggsy was exceptional and he, he could go either side and you never knew what side he was going to go on. He could run as quick with a ball as without a ball. You know, he could do things that just you, players, most players couldn't do. So Giggsy was another, you know, you could go through so many. Kino was just, it was just a driving force within it. Steve Bruce, People would have looked at Steve Bruce and went, you know, again, didn't have many, you know, didn't have, have brilliant physical attributes, but he was, he, he read the game so well that he didn't need them. 
So they all had their, their own strengths. And Barry had such great leadership qualities. You know, he was, was always a good player when I first went across, but um, you could always see the drive in him, you know, and, and while Phil, you know, Phil, you could always tell, you know, although he was younger, was a terrific lad and, and great natural ability with, with both left and right foot. Gary just drove himself. There was a real desire to play for Manchester United and it just showed with the amount of, obviously, appearances that Gaz had as well. Absolutely. He's someone who has never been shy of an opinion, as, as you've said, when he was younger and, and even now um, that he's retired on Sky or in his position at Salford. He's, he's very opinionated and coming through as a group with those sort of guys and and having the likes of Steve Bruce and Gary Pallister in and around the club as well as senior players, did that really just sum up Manchester United of that era and the eras that followed under Sir Alex where you had that blend of exciting young players but with the senior players who could pass on advice and, and are telling off when required? Yeah, I think and I think that's huge. You know, that, that's a huge element of why they were so successful. You know, I always remember on... on usually a Monday or even a Friday after training, you would have people like Brian Robson, people like Steve Bruce, you know, Paul Ince was at the club in the early stages with myself. There was the senior pros would have been up sitting with the gaffer and with the coaching staff as well. Um, so there was a real, really great mix. And I always said, if you want to be successful within teams, you have to have, you know, you have to have the right type of experience alongside the kids, you know, and in, and, and Brian Robson, when I first went over, I always remembered the reserve games that I played in or A-team games. If, if, if something was going on on that pitch, and, you know, especially with the young kids, and there was a bit of, you know, maybe bullying going on with more senior lads from other teams, people like Brian Robson looked after those lads, including myself. You know, they never, um, they never shied away from that. They always made sure they looked after their teammates. And, and, and looking after teammates is something that when you look at all the great teams throughout the years, when you've got senior players who will stick up for their teammates on the pitch and off the pitch, really that, that sums up any successful club. And one of the things I've got to ask you about, Pat, I know it's a, it's a memory that I'm sure you don't like discussing too often, but sum up the game against York City. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the, the build-up the week before, I was I was in the squad, I was in the squad against Rhoda Volgograd, and I was basically, I knew that there was a chance there, and I'd obviously be playing in the Coca-Cola game. Um, so, you just prepared as as normal, and, and obviously, you know, I was going in there with, with more senior pros, and obviously I was playing alongside Pally that particular night, but, you know, what people don't sometimes realise is at, at that time, you, you have to say there was a lot of there was continuity and I know in, in, in today's environment they, they look at you know the squad rotation and, and obviously because of the amount of games and also you know huge games they, they look at that that element of squad rotation but during those times there wasn't a lot when, when the gaffer had the strongest side out the most experienced side and the, the one that was winning every week he tended to keep with that but he would he would have blooded the, the younger lads in. So when the game itself went on, we you know, we started slowly enough. You know, there was there was very little in it. I know Paul Barnes scored in the in the first half with with a really good strike. But 
there was still nothing in the game and and that particular incident where I, I obviously got sent off and, and a penalty was given. Um, myself and Polly tried to, to, to play offside. I heard a call and, and we didn't get it right. But then I, I had never played alongside Polly in a, in a game before. So those are where relationships are formed. You know, I had a, I had a great relationship with the likes of Chris Casper in the reserves and we knew each other's, we knew each other's game within that. So, Look, the the decision was made. I had to chase back. I I also, when it got the just around the box, I made a decision to, to take Paul Barnes down just outside the box, which you know the videos have shown that it was outside the box. But the referee gave a penalty and and obviously get, sent me off, which you know it was a, it was a sending off. So obviously major disappointment. You know the walking off the pitch hugely disappointed in the changing rooms you know as the gaffer you know should rightly do wasn't pleased either with myself with that decision or the team itself but the following day I got me into the the changing room or sorry into the manager's office and mention the fact that after that York game you, you speak to the manager he tells you and explains to you these things happen you also talked earlier about the fact that the hairdryer treatment is something that's more of a caricature than reality when it comes to the manager. Is, is, is that something that was, was shown also when, when you decided to go out on loan? Was, was, was that partly down to you and did he have some say in that? How did that situation come about to Swansea and then Wigan? Yeah, well, you see, uh, my final year, 96 to 97, I'd actually did, you know, through the course of pre-season, I'd played in the pre-season games, been involved with the first team in those, and and I did quite well. Uh, I was over in Ireland, both the North and the South, and um, we played pre-season games, and then I played in the Umbro International Tournament that was part of it. But then I went out on loan to, to Swansea, which is what he did with the younger lads. So... Played, managed to play one game under Jan Moby at Swansea. Went in for a tackle at training at United because I was still training at United there three of the days of the week and, and with Ronnie Wallwork. And it was just one of those things where, you know, it was a wholehearted tackle with both of us and it damaged my knee. So part of my rehab and once I was fit, I went out on loan to Wigan. So I enjoyed the experience, really enjoyed it. And obviously we won the league. I, I managed to, to score the goal that got them promoted against Colchester, you know, a few games before the end of the season. And obviously you're feeling great about yourself. So Wigan had offered to buy me. Um, United had offered me two years. The Gaffer had offered me two years. And I just was at a crossroads. So I went up and spoke to him and, and, and asked for advice. And he said, well, look, you know, you're not... Uh, you know, the, 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 there's lads ahead of you at the, the moment, you know, but it's up to yourself what, what you decide to do. And, and because I'd had a great experience at Wigan and I enjoyed that, I enjoyed playing first team football. Um, I just made that decision then uh, to, to go to Wigan, where again, I had five great, great years at a, at a club with, you know, a lot of fabric as well. I, I really enjoyed my time at Wigan. You mentioned the fact you enjoy your time. You have success when you're there by winning the Football League trophy. Just sum up what, what, what it was like playing at Wembley. Because yeah. <laughs> talk about a dramatic way to win a final. Yeah, and, and, and like I, I, was, I was fortunate enough to, to play at Wembley twice. 
nice of playing in 1999 where we won in, in, in the final minute. Paul Rogers scored that goal. The, the game itself was, was certainly nothing to write home about. Um, it was a it was a poor enough game. There wasn't an awful lot going on, but obviously the score in the last minute and, and you know, it's a dream come true to, to play at Wembley and, and, and all the stature of the old Wembley as well. The following year, we got to the playoff final against Gillingham and we're, with seven minutes to go, we were 2-1 up, looking as if we were heading into the championship. And um, then they scored twice within, <laughs> within seven minutes. So it was... That was very difficult to take, you know, as well. So you had both ends of things. But as I say, you know, especially playing within, you know, playing at the professional end of the game and playing for those high stakes, it's a roller coaster and it's almost an exaggerated version of life because you're playing out in front of the cameras. I, I, can, I can imagine. And, and, and the other thing that I've always wanted to, to speak to you about is, is having guys like Roy Carroll, Michael O'Neill in that team at Wigan, was that a big help to you as well? Because I imagine the banter between the three of you at least was, was flying around. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously we knew each other from the international squads as well. I was, I was first to go to Wigan and then Roy joined not long after. Roy was quite a, a young lad. And, you know, I made, always made a point of making sure that the lads, especially, you know, from Northern Ireland and the Republic, if, you know, they were first coming to the, the likes of Wigan that they, they were settling in. So we, myself and Roy got friendly, went out, played snooker, all the rest. Michael was a little bit older than me and had, had obviously been in the international squad before me, but he joined Wigan after. So, no, we had a, we had a great, great group, including, including Michael and, and, and Roy, you know, with lads like Alan McLaughlin, who I got to know well. Maka was a great fella. Um, and when when you look back now, you know I I was in that I was in the squad for Northern Ireland and and that game against the Republic in nineteen I think it was ninety four and and it was in the, for the World Cup um, qualifier and, and the Republic needed to get a, a result need to get a point in order to get through and Alan McLaughlin who I didn't know at the time actually scored the equaliser for the Republic I was I was on the bench for the for Northern Ireland so. Um, you know that that's what I say. There's so many. I meet so many people throughout football, and whilst I mightn't see them very often, you know, it's great. Ten and fifteen years we later, we still haven't really changed. You know, we're still able to have the banter and, and footballers and footballers that never grow up. <laughs> <laughs> and in terms of the national team. Just what was it like to, to represent your country? And you talked about the fact footballs never grow up. I imagine a group of Irish lads together was, was very funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's no doubt about that. You know, you have to be careful what what you would say on the recordings. But they're, they're like, as I say, we just had a, a, a great group. Um, you know, the, the, the banter flies. You know, it's, it's, it's part of what... I suppose that's the group within footballers as well. You know, there's a, those conversations, and yes, uh, especially as you go up the levels, it's it's a more it's a harsher background. You know, I mean, I, I often talk like you, you you sort of live your life through the public eye, and obviously this is you know it's, it's come to the fore in the last few days, I suppose. Um, but and this this is the other side of mental health, which I you know, especially with the likes of maybe tabloid papers they, they sometimes would put things in 
I know at one point they, they put in about the 10 more signings for Alex Ferguson and, and one of them was myself and, and the, you know, the reason behind it, the statistic behind it was because I only played one game for Manchester United and give away a penalty and was sent off. Now there's an awful lot of a story behind the five years I was there at Manchester United and unfortunately you know, these journalists have put things like that out there don't realise that there's a person behind behind that as well you know so I think that there's a lot to be be learned and gained you know I think the gaffer said that he stopped reading the newspapers <laughs> not long after he joined Manchester United because you, you do get both sides of it and um, but what I suppose journalists sometimes need to, to, to realize especially people that put you know very sensational headlines like, you know, the 10 most players ever to play under Sir Alex Ferguson. There's a, there's a person behind that as well, which is, which is a big part of the sort of mental health and non-judgmental part of it. Well, you, 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 I, I totally agree with that. And the thing that I've got, to be honest with you, Pat, that really annoys me about articles like that, it would be like someone like myself. I wouldn't write something like that because the simple fact of the matter is, who, who am I to, to say who's the worst player to play for Manchester United or Colchester yeah, United? Yeah. Because whoever's uh-huh. played for those clubs has achieved far more as a footballer than I ever would. And that's the thing that frustrates me with these type of articles because at the end of the day, the, uh, uh, to just get to Manchester United, you need to have incredible quality. So it's, it's a daft comment when you really analyse it as well. As I've said there, I'm not just saying that part because... Um, we're having this discussion. I genuinely, genuinely mean that. I think journalists and writers have to be very careful about what, how they write stories, especially when it comes to the worst player. Because, as I've said, and I'll repeat myself for that, I've never played at these levels, so I wouldn't dare criticise players to that level. And and as, as we've talked about off air as well, I mean that's somebody's son or daughter that the people are writing yes. these things about, which is incredibly hurtful as well. And on a broad sense, part, I mean, just to stay on this topic, I mean. You yeah. played for Manchester United. You've won trophies at Wigan. You played for your yeah. international team in over five occasions. So at the end of the day, yeah. how do you look back in your career? Because for me, from the outside looking in, I, I would, I would walk over hot coals just to have half of that. Yeah, and and you know what, that, that that's the thing about you know it's about perspective because I think footballers generally, and including myself, you always you know because you're so used to. To driving yourself and driving the team, and I, I was very fortunate, you know, because from from a very early age, the teams that I played in were always sort of winning teams, and we won at, from under eleven through under fifteen at Lurgan United locally. Would have won, then went to Portadown youth team, won the, the 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 Northern Ireland Youth Cup, which is the biggest competition for the first time in I think twenty years at, at Portadown. Then went. To Man U and in five years at Man U, yes, I was on the fringes of the first team, but the reserve team won the league three times out of those five years, and I think the first time they 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 won it in twenty five years again, you know. So went to Wigan and obviously won the league with them while on loan, won the you know the the football league trophy or auto windscreen, as it was called then, and was in the playoffs three out of the five years. And then came back, captain poured it down. Was we we finished runner up in the league the two years of was there, and then won the league with Glentoran in the first year there. So really, when I, when I look back now, 
I was always playing for successful teams, you know, and so I have to look back with with a lot of, of fondness. There's always things that you, as a footballer you you look back on and think, could I have done more? But I'm I'm very much one not for regrets. So um I I've really enjoyed and was privileged to play alongside some of the players that I did, Callum, to be honest. A few quick fire questions, Pat, just before I let you go. Yeah. Um, best players you've played with? Um certainly Paul Scholes, Ryan Giggs, obviously as as a goalkeeper, the train with Peter Schmeichel, um Eric Cantor, Roy Keane, and I have to say the uh, best pro ever worked with was was Arian Dazo at Wigan Athletic and absolute credit the the you know the train and player with. Aside from Sir Alex, best manager? Best manager. Yeah, but look, at Wigan Athletic in five years, I think it's seven managers. I, th- I thought, I have to say, Steve Bruce, I thought was, was terrific in the short period that I had him as a manager. So I'd probably be a bit biased, but definitely <laughs> Steve Bruce was also very good. Toughest direct um, opponent? I'll tell you the other ones. Sorry, Ray Mathias. Ray Mathias was a very good manager at Wigan Athletic. No. So. Toughest direct opponent? Direct opponent, um, like Paul Bars for obvious reasons at York. <laughs> <laughs> but um, like there's some some good players both in the in the top league and the, the lower league. I, I played against Alan Shearer, but he was only three quarters fit coming back from a cruciate. Was quality. Um, you know there were there were diff- difficult opponents in, in their own ways, but but obviously to play against the likes. I'll tell you, Chris Sutton, Blackburn played against, and he was he was a real handful as well. In terms of grounds, where would you say was the ground that you you dreaded playing at? Um, there was nowhere. You know what? I, I didn't really dread playing. I suppose Millwall, Millwall, the the new dam, um, was yeah was intimidating enough. But I always liked going the the away grounds, and it was never really intimidated that much. It's probably Magellan background with that, like so. <laughs> um, it wasn't intimidated much when it came to the playing big games. And in terms of Manchester United and Old Trafford, just sum up what it's like playing on that pitch. Ah, oh, look, you know, to, to, to walk out there and I suppose with the whole history and the players that have played there in the past, is just an, an absolute privilege, I have to say. You know, and in the early stages, the pitch wouldn't have been as good as what it is now. But, um, you know, it's just it's as much about the, the history of the club and, and just the amount of players that have gone through there and, and obviously the history of, of Munich. It's just that a, a, I was privileged to, to, to play there, to be honest, you know, so. And last question, Pat, we've talked about mental health. We've talked about news when you were coming through. I'm, I'm, I apologise for making you feel old. You'd obviously had newspapers and then you went through the early 2000s. You have sort of online websites, message boards, etc. But for young players now, uh-huh. because of social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, whatever it may be, there's just so much opportunity yeah. for people to, to criticise players. What advice would you give to any young footballers listening who are coming through the system and are trying to make it in football? Well, I think, 
you know, I've, I've often said this, you know, if you want to be successful, listen to successful people, you know, so in whatever sphere that is, and, you know, you, you, can, you can read things on Twitter, on social media, but the, 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 the true advice and the advice that you should take on board is from people that have been there and done that. So, and there are a lot of people that are within the game and are maybe at the other side of the game in terms of coaching and management that would, are more than willing to give that advice. So be prepared to speak to them. Don't feel as if that you're putting them out because a lot of them are willing to help when you ask them. Absolutely. And, and, and in terms of, of life and in football and whatever, walk, in whatever job people are doing, never be scared to ask for advice or support because as we've discussed at the start of the show and throughout the show, it's, it's okay not to be okay. It's okay to admit that you, you need a bit of support and a problem shared certainly is a problem half. Pat, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for your time and I wish you all the very best for the future.